The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. On a Sabbath, Jesus went to dine at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the people there were observing him carefully. He told a parable to those who had been invited, noticing how they were choosing the places of honor at the table. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not recline at table in the place of honor. A more distinguished guest than you may have been invited by him, and the host who invited both of you may approach you and say, Give your place to this man, and then you would proceed with embarrassment to the lowest place. Rather, when you are invited, go and take the lowest place, so that when the host comes to you, he may say, My friend, move up to a higher position. Then you will enjoy the esteem of your companions at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to the host who invited him, When you hold a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or wealthy neighbors in case they may invite you back and you have repayment. Rather, when you hold a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Blessed indeed will you be because of their inability to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. So when I was in college in Southern Oregon, I had a professor, but he was only a professor for a year, and he was a business professor. And I took this class by him, and I noticed that he bragged a lot. And so he would say all these things like, you know, I was on the board of Microsoft, and I was on the board of Intel, and I was on the board of GM, and, and he, he would speak like he had this great authority about himself. And anyway, we kind of noticed, me and my friends, that he tended to talk about himself a lot. Well, one time, there was another professor that noticed that some of the things that this particular professor was saying, uh, that it wasn't exactly accurate. And so he decided he would ask him some follow-up questions. And when he did, uh, this professor uh, kind of went off on the other one, saying, what do you know? You weren't on the board of Microsoft. You weren't on the board of Intel. What do you know? I was the, I was, I was in this great position over at GM, and anyway, so the other professor just kind of backed out of the whole conversation and basically said, never mind. Uh, so anyway, that was only one year. He was only a professor for a year. But the next year when I was working on my thesis, I just happened to be in the office of the head of marketing, and uh, while I was there, he was talking on the phone to someone else, so I don't know who, but he was talking about this past professor and one of the things that this professor had is, is he had a Ferrari. And uh, he also had all those credentials that he always talked about. But he was saying, did you know his Ferrari wasn't even a Ferrari? It had a Volkswagen engine in it. And he, he never actually was on the board of any of those companies. He just made the whole thing up. And anyway, it was, it was like probably I was in secret information there, you know, because it seemed like no one else knew this. Um, but I remember thinking at the times, like, why would someone do that? 
You know, why would you make up all these stories just to make yourself look good? And obviously there were reasons because he was a con man, but even besides that, you know, the way he chose to do it was interesting because back then there, there was an internet. It was really hard to check and see if someone was on the board of Microsoft or something like that. Um, but anyway, this idea about trying to make yourself the most important person in the world and to project that on others so that others can look up to you, uh, it has to do with honor. And this is not something that's unique to our own, our own age. Actually, it was much more important in Jesus' age. Uh, at the time of Jesus, someone's honor was considered more important than their very life. And this was demonstrated many different times in many different ways. And so Jesus goes to this banquet, and as he's there, he's noticing these people jockeying for position so that they can have those high places of honor. And what he basically says is not only should you not be doing that, but honor isn't even important. Well, this is revolutionary for people in that own age. So he goes on to tell them this parable. Now remember when I mentioned how to understand parables, there are two things that you do. You look for the easiest, worldly moral of the story, and then after you understand that, then you apply, apply the heavenly moral of the story. All right, so the earthly moral of the story uh, is not that difficult to understand. If you go into a banquet and you're trying to uh, jockey for the position so that you get the highest place of honor at the table, then you might be shamed because someone more important than you might show up and then you're going to have to go to the bottom part of the table and anyway, that's going to be shaming for you. So you're better off being humble and taking the lower place because then you're only going to be lifted up and brought to a higher position. And so there's a bit of a social teaching that Jesus is doing here. All right, fair enough. But then there's the heavenly moral of the story. Well, okay, so what banquet are we talking about? We're talking about God's heavenly banquet. And when we show up to God's heavenly banquet, we want to make sure that we are showing up in a humble position so that God can lift us up. Now, let me give you an example of this. Uh, when you show up for Mass, for example, the attitude you're not supposed to have is, God, you're so lucky I'm here. You are so lucky I'm here because I'm going to church, and, and, and boy, you, you better treat me right, because if you don't treat me right, I'm out of here. And, and if you don't do everything I tell you to do, then maybe I'm going to punish you by not believing in you or something. You know, well, anyway, this is not the attitude we're supposed to have as Christians, because everything we have is a gift from God. And therefore, we understand he's God, we're not, and so we want to approach him in a certain sense of humility. And that means that we approach him with this understanding that, you know, Lord, I'm lucky to be here. How blessed I am to know you. How blessed I am that I actually get to worship you. Lord, how great it is that you even want to be in my life, that you love me like you do and you forgive me like you do. I mean, these are all positions of authority versus, I mean, God's authority, but also our position of humility. And we also know from this particular parable that if we approach God in his heavenly banquet, uh, we have to enter into that with humility. But then if we do, God lifts us up. And we know that in the end times, when you have the new heavens and the new earth, that we are made how God wants us to be in the resurrected body and soul. Also, when we go to heaven, hopefully, that God lifts us up to a greater existence. 
but everything that happens is because of his generosity. Right, so how do we know that what Jesus says is true? Well, first of all, because Jesus never just says things like, you all need to do this, and he doesn't do it himself. Jesus always models what he asks us to do by his own life. So Jesus, Lord of the universe, he created the heavens and the earth. He created every one of us. Everything that is good and holy is because of God, and Jesus is the Son of God. Yet he chose to enter into our world here on earth as a human being. In order to do that, he had to shed to a certain degree his divinity so that he could humble himself to live in our human state. This is incredibly humble. It's like we can't really wrap our heads around it because it's something so far out of our understanding. But he didn't just stop there because Jesus chose to go to the cross and die for us. Here, the Lord of the universe, creator of all things, chose to be humiliated dying on a cross. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He was demonstrating his humility toward us. And also, he, he showed this in a symbolic form in the Last Supper. In the Gospel of John, we have the description of Jesus who washes the feet of his disciples. And it's easy for us to think that, well, that's just kind of a nice thing to do. But in that time, that a slave could not be forced to wash the feet of his master. But Jesus chose to wash the feet of his disciples. And then afterwards he says, what I do, I ask you to do likewise. So there's a great lesson in this. What Jesus is talking about here is our humility is the way that we serve. Our humility is the way that we love. If we approach our God with arrogance, then we can't serve him or love him. If we approach anyone with arrogance, we can't serve them or love them. What, what he is demonstrating is what we call servant leadership. Because Jesus was a true leader. In the three years that, that he was doing ministry on earth, he took a band of 12 fishermen and turned them into the disciples that would bring the gospel to all the world. So he was a true leader. He was one who knew what it was to bring this great message to the world and to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. But he did it through humility and he did it through service. And that's an example for all of us. So this last Wednesday, we had a staff retreat. And the staff retreat was just so we could get together and talk about some of our priorities, that we could have a clear understanding of our mission and vision as a parish. And we can start looking at ways that we can implement some of that. Um, as we did, we started off with the whole concept of servant leadership. So we were going through the various scripture passages and reflecting on it and, and talking about it and praying about it because we want to be servant leaders as a staff because we need to model that as priests and as those who are uh, working for the church and for all of us here and for our Lord. We want to make sure that we are doing that in the style and example that Jesus gives us. And at the end of that, we did come to some conclusions. Uh, one was that we really want to be about the gospel message and make sure that we all have a good handle on that, that we know what it truly is. Uh, there are so many distractions in this life that it can be easy to miss the most obvious and the most basic. So we can't assume that everyone has a handle on what the gospel is. So that's part of our role as staff and as priests, is to make sure that we have 
good teaching and that people understand what the gospel is, that they know who Jesus is, why his death and resurrection mattered, and what his teachings really say. The other thing that we wanted to do is we wanted to bring a sense of unity to the parish when it comes to our overall mission. And we have many aspects to this parish. We have many cultures, we have many languages, we have a school, we have a church. And it's easy for us to think that each one of these things just operate independently. But the Lord wants us to be unified in his mission, in his vision, in his ways, in his gospel. And so that implies that we don't get rid of those things. We don't say that, you know, well, there's no such thing as different languages and cultures and schools and churches. But we do want to make sure that we at least have the understanding that we're all working together. We're all part of the one family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore it's part of our mission at St. Cecilia. And so that was another thing that we were talking about. And then we were also looking at, at various ways that we can put this into practice. But we do want to be people that serve and take the example that we see in our Lord and start making those adjustments. It's something that's going to be happening over time. It's not something that you can just flip a switch and it's there. But I mention that because sometimes in transition it can be difficult. Uh, but all of us, I think, can be striving toward these ends as well, that we want to approach our faith in a certain sense of humility, and we want to make sure that everything we do is all about the Lord and his gospel, that we're really following where he wants us to go. All right, the last thing is, you may notice we've got a window over here that's covered with wood, and we have a few over on this other side. Uh, on Thursday night, we had more vandalism done to the church. Uh, someone broke a statue, they threw rocks and parts of the statue through the windows, and uh, we do have some of this uh, that we recorded, and so we're following the logical steps with police. We've reported it to the archdiocese and made known to the FBI that um, that there was this vandalism that took place. So we're, we're doing all we need to do on that level. But it was just about a month ago that I was in California, and while I was there, I gave a talk to a group, and one of the questions that was brought up was like, what do we do when people desecrate the church? And I remember at the time, I'm, because he goes, I get angry when, when this happens. And I have to be honest, I was angry when I found out about it. Like, what is wrong with people that they think this is acceptable behavior? What is wrong with us that we allow people who are addicted and mentally ill not to get the help they need? What is wrong with people that they are hearing this message that the church is not something that is a true blessing for them? But it's the world we live in. So what's the response to this? Well, if we're going to respond with any source of humility, we have to understand that responding with vengeance and arrogance is not going to be very useful. So it just in my mind, it just says we need to all the more redouble our commitment to really follow the gospel and make sure that everyone can hear the reality of what the church is, who Jesus is, and, and why it's a blessing for them. And that's not going to happen if we kind of take the position of arrogance. So, so you might notice a common thread in here, and that's just the simple uh, reality of humility. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, that Humility is a very difficult thing to put into practice. It's an easy thing to admire in others and an easy thing to think about theologically and in concept and, and that sort of thing, but it's very hard to apply on a personal level. But this week, we might want to think about a few things. So the first one is just simply think about God's humility, why he did what he did, and to, to, to really be thinking and pondering 
uh, the reality that God in his humility offers us. The second part is to look at our own lives and see where we might be a little proud, proud, proud or prideful and see if we can maybe turn that where it needs to be, you know, to kind of approach things, approach our faith in our God with humility as well as one another. And then the last thing is that think about how we can help others to understand the reality of God's humility and what he wants for all of us. Uh, the more we can do this, the more we mean we're on the right track. That the Lord gives those teachings and he demonstrates it in his life, not just so that he can be admired, but so that we can enter into that reality as well, into that heavenly banquet, and have the, uh, the glories and the blessings that he wants for every one of us.